You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. So that's where we're at. We're at Samson today. And uh, I got to tell you, I had some fun. Uh, when he, he gave me Samson, I went, oh, yeah, yeah, which is Slovak, not Yiddish. Uh, but, but. But um, I hadn't studied Samson, really, just did a deep dive in Samson in years. It might be decades, if I were to be honest and confess. It's like, oh, my goodness. So I got into diving, and I dove right into Samson, and I went, oh, my goodness, I forgot about all this. Holy cow. So that's, that's what we got here. I wanted to share with you my rediscoveries, some new discoveries along the way. And we're going to begin with the spoiler. If you don't like spoilers, that'd be your third disappointment uh, in a row. And we're just, just getting started. So at this point, let's see. Advanced slide. Is it on? That's a good question. Off. On. Arrow. There we go. Oh, so yeah. Easy. There we go. Samson. Death by arrogance, success by sacrifice. That's the whole story. Is uh, Samson is one Superman of a man. Samson is part of that power team. You ever see that power team that's toured the, toured the U.S. giving Christian witness? They're built almost as well as I am. They're <laughs> muscles everywhere. That'd be your fourth disappointment this morning. <laughs> Look up and go, why do you call that built? So uh, death by arrogance, and that's what killed Samson. What I discovered in this process, to kind of cut to the chase, is that that's what's going to kill me, too. <laughs> There's an arrogance, a self-sufficiency. I was looking for the right word. I opened the thesaurus. What do we, how do we describe what Samson died of? And it wasn't the roof falling in on him, although it was the roof falling in on him. It was arrogance, given incredible gifts. But we're getting a little bit ahead of myself. Success by sacrifice. This is an ongoing story of Old Testament characters that have the same sort of dynamic and theme. A dynamic and theme is this. They are called by God, given gifts, and then found an opportunity to fail in those gifts. And the Lord enters that failure to bring about his vision and his mission. And that's the story of my life. It is God working in and through me. It is God working in the midst of my failures, my hurts, my sins, my weaknesses, my I haven't a clue to accomplish his word, his way, his will. It's the classic. He just wants me available. Same thing with Samson. So we're going to cut to the end of the story with Samson. Judges 16 is the end of the story. Once again, here's the, the uh, spoiler. Samson called to the Lord and said, oh, he said, oh, Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O oh God, that I may be avenged on the Philistine for my two eyes. So what's happened by this time is Samson has been captured, caught, and had his eyes plucked out. The book of Judges is crazy with uh, violence and uh, all sorts of uh, murderous things going on. And Samson's now there without his eyes praying to the Lord. And he's standing in between two pillars. And he has got apparently thousands of Philistines 
for whom he has been performing. Now, what we don't know is exactly what he was performing. Samson, mighty in the Lord, strong, muscular guy, able to slay thousands of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey, is performing for the Philistines with his eyes plucked out. What was he doing? We don't know. The Bible doesn't say. I'm going to guess feats of strength, but it's just a guess that he was there. They placed before him things that he was called on to do, and he would show off his big muscles. I don't know for sure. But that's where Samson is. Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with, bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon the people who were in it. So here's the, here's, the, here's the kicker. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Huh. His death was more productive than his life. Hmm. And he was a big, strong dude. So let's get some general context, OK? I've already skipped to the end of the story. So if you didn't know that Samson had his eyes plucked out and died, that would be your fifth disappointment so far in the sermon. But this is the book of Judges. I know it's kind of messy, but I wanted to give you an overview because it's a messy time. It's just full of leaders that are coming and going. And it starts after the people of God have settled in the land, the promised land. But they're disorganized, they're infighting, there's quarreling, there's lack of leadership, there's uh, issues, there's conflict, there's wars with other nations. Across the bottom, you can see that those are the dynasties of Egypt, uh, beginning with Shamgar and Ehud. People that we've probably never heard of are all taking uh, leadership positions and judges, some of them doing a wonderful job, most of them doing horrible jobs. And you can see we get to Gideon and Jer and Tola and Abdon, Elon, Jephthah, Eli. You go, who? And that's, that's part of the point, is that it just was a horrible time. And I'm sure glad that our culture has graduated beyond such chaos and doing that. Yeah. And then you see Samson show up. Samson is the last of the judges, the last of the leadership during the time of the judges. Uh, prior to uh, Samuel, who's the first of the prophets, who then uh, anoints Saul, then you get David, Solomon, more familiar territory. But most of us are less familiar with all the rest of these characters that are there and give some sense of it. That's where Samson is kind of the last one who transitions out of the judge's era into the monarch era. It's a crazy time. The key themes for judges are like this, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Or flip it, and you see one of the other phrases that occurs regularly is, and again, the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So what you've got is an extremely self-centered, self-focused culture with lots of infighting, everybody shuffling and blocking others, trying to get to their to their, to their way and to their word and to their will, I'm sure glad we're not like that anymore in doing that. What's, other, what's also true is that the angel of the Lord appears more in the period of the judges than he does any place else. 
And John touched on this in his, I think it was his video tape sermon about the angel of the Lord. By way of quick review, the angel of the Lord is a really, really interesting character in the scriptures because he speaks as though he is God. The angel of the Lord is what was the burning bush. The angel of the Lord appears to Samson's mom and dad. The angel of the Lord is not self-identified except he uses his name interchangeably as God. So, for example, at the burning bush, a scene that many of us are aware of, uh, he, Moses encounters him, and the scriptures identify the angel of the Lord as the burning bush. And then when Moses says, well, who am I going to say sent me? He says, tell them I am sent you. God calls himself I am. God calls himself Yahweh. So it looks like it's the Father, but it's also the angel of the Lord. It's this wonderful mix of Trinitarian mystery that's floating around the Old Testament that's enhanced by the angel of the Lord. So the angel of the Lord is this apparent second person of the Trinity that shows up as a way to connect with humanity in their darker times, at transitional times, at times that are uh, difficult and hard to uh, comprehend. The angel of the Lord gets there and gets his hands dirty. The angel of the Lord is the one who shows up and has conversation. Otherwise, to try to have conversation with God the Father in all his glory would be overwhelming, would, would be explosive. So the angel of the Lord is here, which tells us that he's trying to bring order and mission and focus to very turbulent times because everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That really struck me. And it's one of the things I did remember about Judges and about Samson. Uh, and it's so, so descriptive of the culture today and uh, how people are fighting for their own ways in their own eyes. I worked as a consultant for a while before I retired, and I thought one of the difficulties with developing mission in any given congregation is that it's hard to get everybody moving in the right, or not the right, but the same direction. Everybody wants their version of what they see. But when you do, incredible things happen. So that's kind of the key things for judges and the, the era and that time. Samson in his larger historical context. Samson is sometimes considered an Israelite version of the Sumerian Mesopotamian Gilgamesh. Have you heard of Gilgamesh? Uh, the ancient Greek Heracles, or Hercules in some context. One of the uh, commentators I was reading said that um, this is simply a biblical tale that uh, tries to uh, mimic the heroism and stories of Gilgamesh and Hercules. Uh, because, indeed, Samson does come off like a Herculean, is that an adjective? A Herculean um, character. I thought, well, the, I can see where on first blush that's, that's true, but as John has preached on this story of us, so is this, with some significant contrasts. And I'm being ironic and understated in sort of British humor fashion because it's an incredibly different context. Samson is successful in his failures. Gilgamesh, Hercules, and all the cartoon characters that are out there today are successful in their successes and their conquerings. Samson, as we've already learned by spinning to the end of the story, 
was successful in his surrender, in his death, in his failure. That's the wonderful paradox, which makes it different than any other contextual um, hero. Did you know there's a movie out about Samson? <laughs> I didn't know this at all. There's something called Pure Flix. It's a streaming series. So uh, they have uh, proposed that, and what a movie he makes. I thought, well, OK. That, uh, that could be the Samson that's in my imagination. And there's the wonderful image of Samson in theaters February 16th, if you ever want to see them. You can turn to Pure Flix. I almost thought, well, I could just do that, just get the Pure Flix, show the movie, skip the sermon. But I thought I'd be pushing John. So the story of Samson's conception and birth are interesting. They're in chapter 13 of Judges. The announcement of his conception to a sterile and childless woman. There's no history of his childhood. So the first thing is, it feels and it sounds like who else was visited and uh, was told, you are childless and sterile, but you're going to have a baby. Well, a lot of main characters, all right? including, of course, Mary. So what you've got is kind of a foreshadowing, an echo, where the angel of the Lord shows up and says, guess what? You're childless, not for long. What's really, really interesting to me that with the exception of the virgin conception and birth of Jesus, God uses the natural means to establish his people under the most inordinate of circumstances. The mysterious name beyond understanding in the exit of the angel of the Lord so it's a longer story, and you should read chapter 13, but the angel of the Lord says, this is where we're going to go. The wife reports back to the husband. He says, did you make a sacrifice? He goes, no, I didn't do that. So they run back, they get a goat, and they're going to make a sacrifice to the angel of the Lord who's there. And so, goodness sakes, uh, they're preparing, asking him to stay for dinner, and they say, what's your name? And he says, my name is beyond understanding. I thought, perfect. Yahweh, I am that I am. The Alpha and the Omega is beyond understanding. And as they get the fire going for the sacrifice and about to sacrifice the goat, the angel of the Lord goes into the fire and ascends in a blaze of smoke. Huh. Everything about Samson and his relationship with the, with the angel of the Lord, everything about it is larger than life. Everything about it is mysterious. Like so many characters in the Old Testament, the mission is to deliver the Israelites from the Philistines, to deliver, to free God's people. It's like a miniature of freeing us from sin. He's called the freed from the Philistines, because, which you probably didn't notice. And for 40 years, the Philistines ruled or reigned over the Israelites, and it was Samson's job to put an end to that. The nature of Samson as a Nazarite, one set aside from birth. So, along with Samuel and John the Baptizer. Some pretty famous guys were Nazarenes. What was that? That was a vow taken, typically early on in childhood or from birth, to never cut your hair. Now, there's a lot of mistaken understanding that somehow by Samson's power was in his hair. Samson's power was not in his hair. His hair was an illustration of his submission to the promises of God, his separation his chosenness, his isolation from the world and culture so he would be a set-aside-by-God person. 
to cut that hair, as you know the story goes, is to illustrate you're giving up your promise. You're sacrificing what you believed and what you said you would do and who you would be for the sake of getting close and once again function part of the culture. This is also true of the prophet Samuel, who's kind of next in line, and John the baptizer. The Nazarenes are kind of uh, edgy, crazy. They don't care about culture. And so you can see how John the Baptist, Samson, and if you know anything about Samuel, kind of fit. They're the folks who are standing on the corners saying, repent. They're the folks who are walking through the airport handing out flyers. They're the folks who are challenging leadership. They're the folks who are ready to push against culture and do it in a very, very strong way. Samson and Women bears some uh, review. First of all, I didn't, I didn't know. This is one thing that I discovered with my uh, study of Samson, that we, did not, we, did, we do not know the name of his first wife. And I went, really? I, mean, I went searching for it. I Googled it. <laughs> and I could not find it. No, we don't know. The unnamed wife is wife from Tinma. She's the wife from Tinma. What's interesting is that when Samson shows up, uh, and gets of age to marry. He's got all the uh, Israelite women to choose from, but he wants that one over there in the neighboring town, which is kind of classic human behavior, isn't it? I have all these choices, but what about that one over there? It's unfortunate because as the story goes, if you want to read those three chapters, it's kind of a choosing her Ended, she ended up burned to death in retribution for Samson burning their crops. I'll run by the story again. So uh, Samson burned their crops because, well, uh, I don't want to get ahead of myself. Samson prostitute, uh, visited a prostitute in Philistia and was kind of captured there, trapped there overnight. Delilah, who's often mistakenly identified as his wife, is not his wife. There's no mention in the Bible that they got married, just that they fell in love and even had children, which you got to dig around to find that. And Delilah, Samson and Delilah, sort of roll off the tongue because that's what we're most used to hearing about is Samson and Delilah. Both his Philistine wife, unnamed, and Delilah nagged him for critical information. <laughs> so... The story goes, his first wife, unnamed, Philistine wife from Tinma. They went to celebrate their wedding day and their marriage. And Samson gave them a riddle and said, here's a riddle for you. If you can solve this riddle, I'll give you 30 pieces of clothing from soldiers and the gear of 30 soldiers. If you can't solve it, then you owe that to me. So what had happened earlier is on his way there, he defeated a lion lion who attacked him. He killed the lion, went back there a while later, and inside of the lion, a kind of an odd thing, was a uh, bee's nest full of honey. And he gave them a riddle that's, that helped them try to solve what, he, what had happened and what he had seen. They couldn't solve it, so they bugged his wife from Tinma, his unnamed wife, and said, Get to Samson, get to Samson, get to Samson. So for seven days in a row, she nagged on him. It took him seven days till finally he said, this is what happened, and explains the lion and the honey story. They come to him with the resolution that what he had found. He was 
so mad that he took 300 foxes, tied their tails together, lit them on fire. Is this out of a movie or what? And sent them running through the field and burned down their field. The Philistines got so mad that he burned down their fields with the 300 fox tails burning, even the picture of the image, right? That they burned Tinma's, or his wife, and her dad. Yeesh. It's a crazy time. So Samson had a very sordid relationship with women. Lots of heroic events of strength. This is what would trigger somebody to say, oh, very much like Hercules or very much like uh, Gilgamesh. He tore the lion apart, and later the honey found in its carcass in chapter 14. He killed 30 men at Ashkelon, stripped them, and gave them their stuff to the Philistines to fulfill his lost bet. He tied 300 tails on foxes together and tied the, burned the, to burn the Philistine crops. He killed 1,000 Philistines using the jawbone of a dead donkey. I remember learning that in Sunday school, going, say that to me again? Broke down and carried the city gates of Gaza in the middle of the night. That's when he was with the prostitute. He was surrounded there, going to wait and get him in the morning. In the middle of the night, he saw that he was trapped with the city gates being locked. So he picks up the city gates and rips them loose from their moorings and carries them to the top of a hill. I'm telling you, crazy stuff. And Samson's sacrifice placed blind between the temple pillars and killed many more when he died than when he lived. So you can see where Samson's life is big and bold, and you would think that would be the way in which he would resolve, in which he would save, in which he would fulfill his mission, but it wasn't. He's most known for the tearing down of the temple, and you see the ancient art reflects just that. So how is Samson part of the story of us? How do you take this amazing character, his amazing announcement, his birth, his feats of strength, his epic events, and what does that mean for us? Well, here's, the thought, here's what came to my mind. First of all, God calls all kinds of people. If you've been listening and attending worship through the story of us, you know that each story and character is unique and odd, and the stories, you say, really? That really happened? He chooses all kinds of people. Paul says to 1 Corinthians 1.26, not many of you were wise by human standards. That God loves the quirky, the odd, the forgotten, the, the, the lost, the weak. God doesn't pick the army that he wants to be strengthened. When he does pick them like Samson, they fail miserably by depending on their own strength. He Picks the oddball. You can tell that's true if you look at who's preaching to you. Called before conception. Another common denominator. This is one of the reasons why I think that my argument and my defense of pro-life is so critical is that I, I know when life began, when God saw me in eternity, aside from anything physiological, before I was even a part of my dad and mom's thoughts. He saw me in eternity, and Samson was called before conception. I was called before conception, provided with a mission. Before the foundation of the world, he chose us in Christ. 
this is really, really strange, really odd, but God saw you in eternity before the creation of the universe. It's a really odd time ball thing. Uh, as Mary Louise knows, I love to follow YouTube uh, uh, science, and, and I've been following um, a documentary on the see, James Webb Space Telescope. The James Webb Space Telescope has taken the place of the Hubble and is uh, billions of dollars and is peering deeper into space. If you follow that at all, you know that what just happened is that they found out that many of the galaxies on the edge of the universe, wherever that is, the edge of the universe are not as old as they should be based on their previous theories of how the universe was formed. So their conclusion, their conclusion is that time does not exist. Now, I don't know what that means. <laughs> I did some cross-referencing. I did some research and some searching. And Einstein said the same thing. Time is an illusion of humanity. I don't know what that means. I don't know what most of Einstein said means. But it brought me back to scriptures like when Moses asked God, who shall I say sent me before he talks to the burning bush? He says, I am that I am. Present tense. Jesus, in discussing with the uh, Pharisees, says, For Abraham was, I am. Jesus in the book of Revelation says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Lots of these references kind of all fit together to the James Webb Space Telescope discoveries. There is no time before the foundation of the world. I think that's what, that may have something to do with each other. That the reason why that could be is because there really is no time. You know what, you know what I mean? I don't either. <laughs> it fits together in interesting ways. Called before conception. Each provided our own gifts of strength and some kind of advantage. Of course, Samson was, you know, Mr. Mr. Muscle and obviously a Herculean kind of character. But so are you. To each one is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. That some have the gift of strength, some have the gift of mind, some have the gift of patience. All the gifts work together in 1 Corinthians 12 for the sake of the mission. And where Samson went wrong and bad and where arrogance ended up killing him was when he started doing it for himself. When he started investing his vision and mission and his gifts for his own purposes and toward his own end. But you and I are gifted with as much strength and as much advantage in bringing together a love of numbers, a love of people, the ability to coordinate, the ability to witness. All of these gifts that come together in 1 Corinthians 12 are the same thing as Samson. They're called and designed to fit together like a giant puzzle piece to accomplish his will and his vision, his mission. So we're given these gifts as much as Samson was, but each of us is nagged by what I call seductive forces. So I left off the label for this. You receive 450 of these a year and are exposed to 35,000 of these in a lifetime. What am I talking about? Commercials. I thought, what nags us in culture? And it's marketing. It's advertisers. I, if you try to follow a link on your phone, you, it's like I've got to go through three or four advertisers. They're getting slicker and slicker. And I find myself on some page buying a razor blade. How did that happen? And, uh, 
So there's a seductiveness to culture that's getting sharper and sharper, greater and greater. And I have no clue what it means. I have no clue what I'm really talking about, but the, including stuff like artificial intelligence and AI, which is getting now the ability to mimic voices. I recently read a story of a young girl who was persuaded by an AI recording. That was her mom on the other side of the phone. And somehow they short-circuited it, but it sounded like her mom. It was her mom's voice, which artificial intelligence had generated in words of their own. I don't know what that means, how, the, how you do that. What, uh, it's happening, it's getting slicker and slicker. The same thing had happened with uh, if you, the uh, Actors Guild is on strike, and the actors are saying, what we don't want you to use is artificial intelligence in our place. That you can do that? Point of that is, the seductiveness of the culture it's getting greater and greater, more and more sophisticated, greater and greater uh, opportunity and ability to trip on us, not just like Samson's women. But last of all, the Spirit of the Lord is engaged in the details of our life to give us strength to go through. When the Spirit of truth comes, Jesus says, He will guide you into all truth. In the midst of all of the AI questions, the mysteries of time being chosen, the fall and sinfulness and the selfishness that's yours and mine, steps in the Spirit of the Lord, the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament, the Spirit of the Lord who says, tell me your dirty little secrets. Give me your weakness. Tell me where you're failing. Give me some sense of where you are and confess that to me. Turn that over to me. Trust me with this. Put yourself between the two pillars and allow your mind, body, and strength to be a sacrifice and trust me that the greater good will come from it. The Spirit of the Lord is still engaged in the details of our life. This changed for me through the ministry. When I started the ministry, I didn't pray to the Lord for the details. I thought, look, God's got a universe to run. Why does he care about the details of my life? I'm looking for the general theme to be out. But the more complicated life became, the more children I had, and the more life sort of came at me, the more I realized, no, God is actually in the details. The cliche, the devil's in the details, is a lie. God is in the details. And wants the details of your life and mine to witness and strengthen his cause, his purpose. To let us know how deeply, powerfully, wonderfully loved we are. Certainly, Mary Louise and I, after these many years of marriage, are in the details of each other's lives. How much more the Spirit of the Lord, who knew each of us before the foundation of the world, He wants the details of our lives to work for us and for the good of the mission and the kingdom. Samson, lastly, is our last slide, is this type of Jesus. The conception, of, conception and birth foretold from nobodies. So Samson's parents weren't anything special, as were any of the characters of the Old Testament who gave birth to incredible prophets and people. Mary was chosen because she was nobody, <laughs> not because she had special powers. God chooses us. We don't have to measure up. He selects us who, as we are, where we are, who we are. 
both given the mission to free God's people. Obviously, the point of Jesus was to free us from sin, not from the Philistines. The Philistines were long gone. No more culture dead. But giving freedom to our lives. Paul would say to the Galatians, it is for freedom that you have been set free. Freedom from guilt, freedom from despots, freedom from fear. It is for freedom that you have been set free. The gift that God comes to us and the type that Samson provides is that Jesus has come to set us free. Jesus has overcome a roaring lion. Peter says the devil, the devil prowls about like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. That was the same thing true for Samson who, was trying, who the lion was trying to devour ended up dead. That's the same thing true for the, the Satan and the devil. He's already ended up dead. Don't give the devil and Satan and conversation or room or time or power. He has no power over you. The presence and power of the Holy Spirit exists inside of you and far, far outweighs and outstrips any influence of the devil. The devil's power comes in temptation to try to get you to cross the line. Just, no, just step in. Just step in. You're going to like it. It's going to feel good. It's going to resolve you. It's going to make... Your troubles go away. It's in temptation and alluring us, not in power to overcome us. It cannot, will not, does not ever have power over God's spirit and his presence and power. The removal of the gates designed to hold us prisoners. So Samson ripped up the, ga the gates of Gaza and brought them to the top of the hill and said, you can't hold me back. So the resurrection, the stone was rolled away and Jesus steps out and says, what else you got? Death didn't hold me back. But mostly the last lesson that I want us to leave with here today is the power of sacrificial love. It is the most powerful force on the universe. It's the closing section of the time with Samson when he killed more Philistines in his death than he ever did in his life. It's also true for you and me. The most powerful event in the, in the universe was the death of the Son of God to voluntarily let himself be sacrificed on the cross for your sins and for mine. To voluntarily trust that he would be forsaken by the Father, that you and I would never have to be. The most powerful force in the universe, his sacrificial love for you and me. The most powerful force in the universe today is our sacrificial love for one another. How people are amazed and just absolutely aghast at how our love for one another builds and strengthens each other up, no matter the cost. No matter the cost. It cost Samson his life. It could, for you and me, cost us our life. Probably not, but there will come a day when we will surrender and sacrifice our lives and let ourselves be received into the arms of Christ, whose sacrifice was for us. Samson, he died of arrogance, but he was successful in his sacrifice. Thanks be to God in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go to God in prayer. Father God, we don't have the gifts of Samson that I know about in this room, gifts of incredible strength and power, ripping up city gates, slaying thousands but we do have the power and presence of your Holy Spirit, the gifts of love and life. We come to you this day, surrendered to that mission, 
to that vision, to that calling, that you would continue to strengthen us to live a life of sacrificial love and hope, that you would give to us your grace and your power that comes from surrender, letting go and trusting the will and the work of the Father. Grant us from the story of Samson insight and awareness into how it's not our own strength, but yours, and the sacrificial love and grace that comes from you that makes all the difference. In Jesus' name do we pray. Amen.